diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Diving into Data. This is your host, TC Riley. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Everyone's staying safe, staying healthy. Let's see, what we have on the docket today is things that are not specifically related to COVID. If you listen to our episode last week, we dove really heavily into everything with the COVID, how it's impacting the global economy, the U.S. economy. Um, frankly, a little too much doom and gloom for my taste. So what we're going to do today is we're going to turn the tables on that. Title this week is going to be Taking Advantage of a Bad Situation. So yes, this is still tangentially related to COVID, but what we're going to talk about rather than the actual impacts of it is how you as companies and individuals should be taking advantage of this, viewing this as an opportunity to improve yourself, to improve your company, especially from a data perspective and a data practice perspective. We're going to look at the bright side and how we can make the most of this rather than just the negative impacts it has caused. We're also going to introduce a new segment called Industry Rapid Fire, which I'm going to hit on two to three industries every week of how they are using data and maybe ways that you don't necessarily think of them using data. So we're going to get more into that. Specifically, we're going to be looking at healthcare, finance, and then IoT and cloud AI, everything in that field um, as our three industries this week. But we'll get back around to that one. First, let's start off with taking advantage of a bad situation. So when we're talking about taking advantage of a bad situation, unfortunately, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone what bad situation we're talking about. Obviously, the global situation around COVID has led to a lot of changes with a lot of companies. So rather than going through, again, rehashing everything we already know about it, what we're going to look at today is right now, you and your team might have more downtime, might have more bandwidth than normal. Yes, I know there are situations out there where actually people are stretched even thinner. Um, maybe there have been some staffing changes and there's even a little bit less bandwidth on your end. But if you have the opportunity, I want to hit on the ways that you can take advantage of this time where certain things aren't happening to make other stuff happen that's going to benefit you and your company down the line. So the first step before we even dive into anything of how you can change what you can take advantage of is don't forget about the regular things. Don't forget about the little things. As we go through, I know a number of our clients have been impacted in terms of staffing, furloughs, layoffs, and things like that, unfortunately. But one important thing to remember is to not stop moving forward from a best practices in the BAU items, especially from a marketing perspective. Don't forget about things like email campaigns. Don't forget about things like social campaigns, drip campaigns, um, still engaging clients, whatever outbound efforts or marketing efforts you had in place. Do not let those completely drop off in this time. You might not see an impact right now. You're probably seeing a you know revenue and sales impact right now. But if you stop those marketing efforts right now, you're going to have a lot more problems down the line because as businesses open up as they did last week here in Texas, and as things start to move forward and get back to normal, whatever our new normal is, we need to keep in mind that anything you're doing now is going to hurt your funnel down the line. You're not going to have those leads ready to roll whenever things open back up and you can start making sales again. If you aren't still curating content, creating content, doing outbound campaigns, doing email, social, again, all these things. So just a friendly reminder, do not forget about that. If the person responsible for those in your company has unfortunately um, been let go or temporarily furloughed or something like that, make sure you have an actual plan in place now today to pick those up and not let those things drop. Don't make a bad situation worse for you in the future. All right. But besides that, 
All right, what can we do to take advantage of this time? What are we here at MarketScale doing to take advantage of this opportunity to do some self-improvement? A lot of people at home right now, you've seen a lot probably on social media and all around how people are able to take advantage of the personal time at home, you know, spending more time with family, getting, picking up new hobbies, um, getting into a better workout routine, whatever it may be. They're doing some, you know, self-improvement on the home front. Let's do that from a business perspective too. No reason we can't take advantage of the opportunity all the way around here. So we're going to hit on three main areas where I'm going to encourage you to make some investments now, take advantage of this now. And those are marketing, sales, and then operations slash service. Um, the things that come after the sale actually delivering the products. So marketing first, obviously the most relatable to us here for what we do at market scale. Um, but there are two big places around optimization that I think people have an opportunity and I hope that they're taking advantage of them right now. The first is SEO search engine optimization. The second is onsite optimization around conversions. So SEO first, We've talked before in the past, I like to throw SEO into two buckets. I'm sure someone who's an SEO aficionado and does this for a career would yell at me for this, but to me, there's two main buckets for SEO. There's keyword SEO, and then there's technical or on-page SEO. When we're talking about the keyword strategy, what we're talking about is which words should we be targeting? What are we creating content around? That's important and is always going to be important. That's going to be something that's going to continue and frankly shouldn't really change. Um, the only adaptions right there might be if you have a product or service that is um, you know, related to the COVID outbreak and you wanted to try and capitalize on some of the increased traffic. Uh, realistically, probably not a lot of changes now are going to reap benefits from that because by the time you actually build up some authority for those keywords, we're going to be in a, hopefully, knock on wood, a post-COVID world. However, the on-site optimizations is definitely, and on-page optimizations is definitely something you guys should be jumping at and taking advantage of. The way to do this, and what we're talking about this on-page, for those who aren't familiar, are things like meta descriptions, titles, tags, H1 um, and H2 and H3 and all the tags and headers we have. Everything that is related to the on-page optimization to, frankly, make your website uh, fit what Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, and the like are looking for. This isn't necessarily about avoiding penalties or anything punitive. Um, some people still, I think, have way too uh, harsh of a view that Google's out to get people and is trying to get you, and it's all about avoiding penalties. No, what this is really talking more about is doing the things that you can that they recommend to optimize and make the best possible organic uh, experience for your visitors. The best way to do this is through some type of site crawling reviewing tool. Um, if you have backend access to the CMS and the website, you can go in and review all this in a number of ways, but it's typically easiest to identify opportunities using an outside tool. Um, there are a number out there. There are a handful of free ones out there that are decent. It might be worth something investing in. If you are a market scale client, you are welcome to reach out to us. We can do this for you. But what we're looking at is crawling the website, identifying everywhere where we're Again, missing a meta description, the page title's too long, you know, whatever it may be, and taking this time to fix all those so that your site, after everything is back to normal, is in a great spot technically and really buttoned up. Again, if you don't want to make an investment in this, you, don't, you aren't a market scale client, um, again, you can still reach out to us. We're still happy to help. Um, but there are a couple other little tips and tricks I'll give. Um, there are two plugins for Chrome that I actually use that are free. Um, that allow you to do this on a page-by-page -page basis. Obviously not nearly as effective as a tool that'll crawl the entire site for you, but still a, a cheap, easy way to make this happen. Um, Serpstat and SEO Media are two of them that I use. Um, another one that you can look at, SEO Quake, that's a decent one. 
all these tools and these plugins, what they do is they analyze your website or a specific page on your website and look at the meta description, look at the tags, look at the title, yada, 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 and kind of tell you the, oh, this is too long, or oh, look, you don't have a meta description here, or whatever it is. Those are great opportunities to really improve and again, clean up, follow the best practices, have that meta description be that, I believe it's 70 to 160 character goal that we're shooting for. Um, but ensure that you're kind of covering all those bases. What this is gonna do, this is not necessarily gonna return immediate. People sometimes in organic get too jumpy, too impatient with seeing the return on the investment. Organic is something you have to build up over time. You're gonna see the benefits of this um, in a month, in three months, in a year, in five years. It's not necessarily something you're gonna see tomorrow. But what this is gonna allow you to do for companies that have maybe had to cut back on ad spending right now, I know we've heard from a lot of our clients that they're kind of you know closing those channels a little bit to be able to save a little bit of money. What this is going to do is start positioning you again for a future where you don't have to rely on those things, where you are able to avoid renting space by paying for ads and paying for clicks, but you're organically going to get those just from what you're creating and what you're doing on your site. Make sure you're buttoned up on SEO, and frankly, there's no better time than right now to do it. The other piece with optimization that you do want to look at besides the search engine side of it is optimizing your website for conversions. Every website, the purpose of it is to inform, to educate, and frankly, at the end of the day, to get a conversion of some kind. Now, that conversion is going to take a lot of different forms. If you're an e-commerce site, obviously, a conversion is probably a purchase of some kind. If you're a traditional B2B business, it might just be getting contact information, getting a contact form filled out, um, getting information from someone, getting them to download that case study, whatever it may be. Everyone has conversions and goals that you're trying to accomplish with the website, and that's what we're talking around optimizing for. So the way to do this and the best way I think to kind of take this in chunks is to look at different components and how they relate to conversions. Obviously, if you don't have these kind of conversions and goals set up where you can get something like Google Analytics or similar to give you this data, that's obviously our first step. You can't optimize what you can't see. Assuming you have those set up and you have the actions around those, you're going to be able to look at which pages are driving the most of those conversions. If it's an on-page form fill, then which pages are getting the most form fills? If it is something driving them to a contact page or driving them to a shop or e-commerce site, it's which pages are driving to that. Look at that and understand what are those pages, um, how are they doing well, how are they have uh, some opportunity to improve. Maybe you know A and B are doing really well, C and D aren't. How can we make C and D more like A and B to drive more people to our, our happy place of that goal of that conversion? You can also do this for landing pages, whether it's a specific campaign or just people generally entering your website. What is eventually leading people to the promised land of that conversion? Uh, yes, maybe if they hit a landing page, a certain campaign that you sent out, it takes them three or four steps to get through, you know, looking at the landing page, then checking out the product or service, then looking at this and looking at that. But it still helps you understand that landing page is that first impression of your site. What first impression is making the best impression? And we're going to measure that based on how many of those people are actually giving us what we want. Again, converting whatever that may be. There's several ways you can also duplicate this. You can look at different traffic channels, you know, organic versus ads versus social versus um, referrals versus direct, whatever it may be. You can look at conversions around specific product or service pages or information pages on the website, certain case studies, resources, videos, content. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. But something that I think people get too focused on is the on-page performance. Again, using a piece of content as an example. Well, we put up this video, but it only got X number of plays on the page. It only got this many people to read it, this many views. Th that is important, but those are the counting numbers. I've, I've mentioned this term before where 
people get too hung up with things like plays because at the end of the day, plays are important. You know, volume is better. Quantity matters, but quality matters too. And understanding the best way to view that quality is how is it driving towards your end goal, towards that conversion? So I encourage you to take a look at those from a marketing perspective. Use a little bit of extra time you may have to invest in that. Those investments are going to pay dividends for years down the line. This isn't something that's going to necessarily float you through the current scenario in the current world situation, but it is going to set you up to dominate for years ahead. Let's move on now to probably um, what some people consider the most important part of the business since it brings in the money, the sales. What we've seen with a lot of clients, um, one of the biggest issues is that sales uh, too often have a singular KPI. That is uh, deals closed, uh, revenue received, whatever you want to call it, closed opportunity, closed one opportunity, volume or amount. Um, it is just looking at the end goal. And obviously, yes, that, that is important. We just talked about, you know, optimizing sites for end goals when it comes to conversions. But that is not everything that goes into the sales process, especially in the B2B world. We have really long sales cycles for the most part um, compared to some other businesses out there and maybe the B2C space. So what you need to do is you need to ensure that you have something set up for real-time data capture and real-time data reporting on sales efficiency. One of the things that I think is most important to do for this um, is setting up a dashboard, setting up a way for your sales leaders to monitor these things um, and start looking at attribution and looking at what's really driving that end goal, that number that everyone probably is looking at, which is, again, dollars sold, for lack of a better term. Um, so we need to use attribution analysis to drive this. Attribution analysis, what am I talking about? So what we're talking about is very simply understanding which actions and variables are leading to sales. Seems pretty straightforward and obvious. Many of you probably have guesses for this and probably even have a process for this is the best way to do it. I encourage you to ensure that the data matches your assumptions. Far too often we've seen with clients where an assumption is that this is selling the best and this is the most effective tool, but it actually isn't. So one little thing I highly encourage you to start doing is frankly being better about upkeeping the CRM that you guys are using. Um, if you don't have a CRM, probably want to look into getting one, um, but many companies do. However, I would venture that 90% of companies out there, market scale in the past has absolutely been guilty about this. So this isn't uh, uh, you know, shaming anybody. It's just a matter of fact. CRMs are typically not well upkept. They're not consistently used. They're not used with a in a manner that allows you to get actionable, useful data. Um, maybe every person has their own way of doing things. Every person has their own way of entering things, um, has their own values they like to use or steps they like to use. Without that consistency, it's really, really hard to get enough information and data on the back end to actually be able to uh, make informed, actionable decisions down the line. So one of the first places that if I have to pick one little place I always see that seems to be kind of missing or messed up is lead source. The first part of your process, um, again, the general flow from lead to opportunity to account um, is that lead source and understanding where did we start interacting with these people? How did they find us? How did we find out about them? Whatever the case may be. Having consistent buckets for those lead sources that are easy to group and easy to analyze is critical. It's probably the single most important thing that you can do in your CRM if things are a little messy right now. If you're able to do that, not only are you going to be able to understand from a lead perspective what's actually converting to opportunities, where are we actually getting interested people from rather than just getting names. Every company has you know tons of leads in there. 
are they come? They're coming from many different places: inbound, outbound, purchase list, um, trade shows, networking, wherever it may be. You got a million lead sources. Make sure that they are accurately defined, that your team understands what those values are and should be, and is sticking to a rigorous process of ensuring the accuracy of those. Build some reporting around the different values being put in. If you can boil it down here at MarketScale, we are able to boil down our lead sources into six main categories. We also have another field called lead subsource, which gets a little more granular, allows us to dive deeper. But just from a high level, we have these six buckets um, of website, of trade shows, of referrals, um, of a handful of others. And by ensuring our teams are accurately reporting on those, we've been able to identify some places where, hey, we have not been putting enough investment into this channel because when we get leads from here, not only do they convert to opportunities really well, they convert to close one deals really well. And alternatively, we've seen some that we thought maybe traditionally were really valuable channels. They weren't necessarily as valuable. It was more of a, um, it was enough volume, you're bound to get a couple sales. But we've been able to kind of hone in on how we're doing that and change that. And I encourage you all to do the same. Understand what is leading to sales because that lead source can carry through the whole way from that converted lead to that closed deal to even other deals and how much they're renewing, how much churn you have on customers from these different sources. This is all valuable. And while there's a million other things you can track, different activities being performed in the sales process, um, which promotions campaigns they're involved in, um, what stages they're in um, and where you have drop off there. Those are all effective measures and there's a lot more you should do and could do from an attribution standpoint. But if you do nothing else, lead sources are theme of the day for sales, ensuring that that's accurate and ensuring that you have a good process there. If you don't know how to go about that or where to even start with that, again, reach out. Anyone can always reach out here, thomas.riley at marketscale.com. Happy to answer any and all questions, whether you're a MarketScale client or not, we're always here to help. The last one, as we're moving away from sales, we're going to get into kind of the operations service, the what I'll call the post-sale business, whatever that may be in your organization. If you are a in the manufacturing space, I will say you're manufacturing a product. You probably have some really good KPIs, really good tracking. At the, uh, you know, by the time we're in 2020, on that kind of production line aspect and understanding what is working there, identifying opportunities, challenges, um, things that aren't going well. However. Too many companies seem to think that, well, we don't have a production line, a factory that does this. We, you know, we, we're different because B2B covers a lot of different sales processes and sales cycles. Don't assume that doesn't mean you can still look at KPIs around on-time delivery, around engagement, around are you doing the right things to, at the end of the day, get happy customers, make sure that they keep coming back and frankly, giving you more money. Um, one way that we've done this um, from the post-sale, not only do we have tons of tracking on on-time delivery of all of the content deliverables that we have, the analytics deliverables, online learning, whatever it is we're doing here at MarketScale, but additionally, we have a couple little uh, proprietary things that we do on the back end that help us identify the clients that need a little extra love. Um, we have something called an engagement score, and we're not going to get too deep into all the variables there, um, but suffice it to say that this engagement score combines all the ways that we're interacting with the client. The on-time delivery of content is definitely a piece of that. How much content? How much are we interacting with them? Are they using our products and our tools? All of these things are able to be combined in order to give us a clear view of generally how engaged is this client with market scale and with our offerings. Everyone knows that generally the more engaged the client is, the more lock-in you have, the better off you're going to be in terms of renewals and in terms of avoiding churn. But what we were able to do is we were actually able to statistically analyze this and find a formula and find a setup 
where with about 98% accuracy, we can predict our renewals and churn, which is pretty impressive. I'm, I'm proud of the team for being able to knock this out. But what that does for our team is that we can understand where a client is tracking relative to that score and this kind of, again, this all-encompassing, are they going to renew with a score? And what we're able to do, again, this is not purely just from a, well, we got to go address it so we get more money. It also identifies the opportunities where, frankly, we aren't doing good enough for our clients. We could be better. We should and could be servicing them better. And these scores help us identify those opportunities. We know how they tie in from the business perspective and from the eventual revenue perspective, but also just from a service and providing the best possible um, experience to your clients. It's critical to do that. So I encourage you to all start to consider if you don't have something in place for this, start to consider capturing more data on active clients. Um, again, in regards to what are they getting out of our partnership and what can we do better? You should you can almost always find a way to improve that aspect of your business. Um, and frankly, every department and role has an opportunity to be better. If you have the data, use it. If you don't, you got to start find a way to start doing it. But take advantage of this bad situation and improve your business, improve your operations, and let data help you guide um, a better future for your company. Don't just make it about surviving right now. Make it about thriving in the future. We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with our new segment, Industry Rapid Fire. We're going to touch on healthcare, finance, and IoT today. We'll be back in a second. All righty, everybody. Welcome back to Diving Into Data. TC Riley here. As I mentioned, we're starting a new segment this week. We're going to hit on this for a couple weeks called Industry Rapid Fire. So what we're going to do is we're spending just a couple minutes, probably two, three minutes a piece on a number of different industries and how they're using data, but specifically how they're using in data in ways we probably either haven't discussed or that you're probably not thinking of. So this isn't necessarily the, okay, yeah, there's a million stories out there. Again, healthcare is our first one about healthcare is using data. We're going to look at some of the tangential ways that data is being used that you might not be thinking of. Um, and my hope is in doing this, if it's for your industry, Great, maybe gives you some specific ideas, but from a broader sense, I hope it gets you to think about using data outside of the current confines that you've put around how you use data in your business. Um, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be referencing um, something that Forbes put out back in, I believe it was October, about six months ago. Um, it's called Forbes Analytics Plus from data to answers. This is a free kind of publication special edition thing that Forbes did. You can go check it out online. They partnered with Teradata, um, who's a large um, analytics software um, and services provider um, to do this. And I think it's an incredible article that teaches a, a lot about a lot of different industries. So I would highly encourage you to check that out and take a look at it. The first thing I mentioned we're gonna look at is healthcare. So the healthcare article that I want to uh, kind of dive into is actually, it's using a little bit of a use case around uh, Simon's Health and Ears. Um, so what they're doing um, is not just using data from the way you might traditionally think healthcare uses data, which immediately probably pops into your head, patient data. Yes, that is important. You know, it, it's great to be able to go to, into a doctor, have him pull up from some cloud storage system, every record, every medical thing you've ever done, every immunization, whatever it is, have as much information as possible for doctors to treat patients. Absolutely a great use of data. 
it's going strong, it's getting better, but we're not going to focus on that today. What we're going to look at is actually a different way of looking at it. And what this little article mentioned was something they're referenced to as healthcare 4.0, um, the next generation of healthcare. Um, and what it, it boils down to is being able to gather all data and being able to immediately use it, use it to translate to improved healthcare management, efficiency, and cost control. So what we're talking about here, the management, yes, that might be a little more patient specific, but in the efficiency and cost control, we're talking a little more, I would almost say, on the operations side of the business, on the behind the scenes, not patient interactions. Specifically, what this article dives into is how they're using big data, for lack of a better term, to identify and issues with equipment in hospitals and doctor's offices. Something that probably not a lot of us think about, but when you think about all of the equipment at this point in 2020, all of the smart equipment in all of these hospitals, there's so much data to be had and the infrastructure is probably already in place to capture and use a lot of this. But what this is going to allow companies to do, especially anyone that works with hospital equipment, whether it is the hospital slash doctor's office themselves, whether it's the servicing company, whether it's the actual manufacturer, what this is going to push for is adopting a predictive and proactive maintenance model so that you're not going and fixing broken machines. You're going to fix a machine that might have an issue that could break. Um, The whole idea of this is you need real-time access to the data on the machine so that you can identify what really are the issues. Not only can you identify the second it happens and get on it and get it, you know, again, be proactive, fix it before it is a issue, but additionally, you're going to be able to use this data over a longer period to understand what actually, what variables truly are predictive of those issues. Again, let's say that we have issue A, B, and C with my machine here, and then a week later, after all these issues pop up, it breaks. Okay, again, another doctor's office across town, they had issue A and C, and it broke. And a third one, it had B and C, and it broke. Okay, well, maybe we can say that the common variable here is C is wrong in all of them, and that's what's leading to it. So what we're able to do is we're able to move to a predictive model that anticipates those service needs before they happen and also try and identify and raise our first-time fix rate so that we're not going back and fixing whatever was wrong with B and the thing starts running again. Well, we didn't actually fix C, so it breaks again next week. Nope. We know what the root cause truly is of the issue. We're able to correct it and fix it the first time, and we're good to go from there. So that was our healthcare piece. Again, Think about healthcare data, not just from a patient perspective, but from a company and an ecosystem perspective and figure out how you can also translate that to whatever industry you are in. The next one as we move into is finance. So the the case study here was around US Bank um, and what people think of financial data and how banks use it. Traditionally, it's been a lot more, they use financial data to push financial products. Um, they use your loan history. They use your bank account history. They use those those uh, economic indicators they have on you from that perspective to drive and encourage products. Unfortunately, we probably have all gotten the, you have a checking account. Let's open up a savings account and a credit card with us too. Emails and calls and all that. That's fine and dandy. Again, that's a little bit of an older model. But what U.S. Bank is doing and what more financial institutions are doing um, is they have all this data, but how can they actually use it in the most valuable way? Their goal is to serve clients in the preferred way to maximize their benefit. That's kind of the mission statement there. Um, And what they've kind of identified as the way to do this or the best path to go forward with this is moving from a transaction vendor to a trusted partner. Um, Again, in this Forbes Teradata article, they specifically use those phrases and those really stuck out to me. Um, Financial institutions are wanting to move from just the 
um, again, the entity that is moving your money and that you're dealing with to an actual partner, a way that you view other services. Again, the difference in calling up a random AC repairman to come to your house and having a relationship with a maintenance company um, that is able to come out and you know do some proactive maintenance, help you out, is there is someone you trust and value, not just another company that you're paying a service, you know, a fee for a service or a product. Um, and what they are trying to do is rather than focusing on the sale necessarily, they're focusing on partnering with their customers through life's milestones. And an example of that is they're not just going to use financial data. They're also going to use data they have on these people. Frankly, we've talked about it in the connected world. There's all types of data out there to be had. But they're using that data from social media, um, from other things that you're doing to understand what you're going through with life. Because I would, I think everyone could agree that you would rather have someone, a partner that understands where you are in a life cycle, what all the factors are that are going to go into a decision, especially as it relates to finances, not just the financial picture. Um, it doesn't necessarily just matter how much you have in this account and that account and do you have this set up. It also matters, well, and what am I going to need money for in the coming months? Um, as a little use case for my personal life, um, we had a baby about a year ago. He's just over a year now and my wife's pregnant with our second little boy. Um, there are a lot of things financially I would love to do in terms of future investments, in terms of investing even more for retirement and things like that. But it is not a realistic uh, opportunity at this point in our lives. Um, diapers ain't cheap. Formula ain't cheap. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into having two kids in 18 months that we're going to need a little extra money for. And I would love it um, if our bank does this a little bit, but maybe it could be a little better, um, like us banks trying to be in terms of reaching out and talking to us about proactively that, Hey, uh, we have this data on you. I, I know they have the data on me. I'm not going to be offended by them, you know, scraping my wife's social media and knowing we ha we're having another baby and stuff like that. Um, but we realize that you don't have any college saving funds set up. Um, it's important to do that early in a child's life since that's an important milestone that we're kind of coming up on now. Um, so let's get that set up. We're going to reach out and provide you support and guidance around setting up college funds around 529s and things like that. That's not something that I'm overly familiar with. I've never dealt with this, never had kids in the past. I'm learning and teaching myself as I go, but what these banks are going to try and move to do is identify those and help you serve up products, guidance, um, be the guide for you so that as you're going through these milestones and these journeys in life, um, it can connect into your financial picture rather than being two siloed buckets where the bank's just more worried about getting me to open up a new savings account. Um, despite the fact that, hey, we don't really have a ton of extra money to put in savings right now because we got uh, two extra mouths to feed in the house. So um, again, that was our rapid fire on finance. Uh, lots of good stuff. Think about how data can be used outside of the historical context. Use that information to better serve your clients. And again, I love that for just about any company out there. Go from transaction vendor to trusted partner and figure out how you can do that more effectively. Last rapid fire industry we're going to hit on is IoT and the cloud services, AI, everything that goes there. Um, what this was talking about, uh, this specific article, again, from Teradata and Forbes, um, was developing IA before AI. And I loved this article. Um, and what IA is, is information architecture over artificial intelligence before artificial intelligence. Um, my side note caveat that I, I still don't love the term AI. We still use machine learning a ton. We have not truly developed a bunch of AI. Um, yes, there are the Watson type things out there, but you know, we don't have how um, from 2001 for any sci-fi fans out there. Um, we're not there. It's not true artificial intelligence, but 
um, what machine learning is great at and what has developed to be incredible at and frankly will continue to develop in the coming years is finding hidden patterns and large amounts of data. That frankly is the best kind of use case and purpose for machine learning at this point. It's uncovering hidden opportunities using uh, being able to look over tons of variables that you might not necessarily associate and begin to identify patterns, identify opportunities in these hidden patterns within the data so that you can make better decisions as a business leader um, and as a business. Right now, um, the biggest thing that's probably preventing that from being incredibly effective in every organization, I think we're past the point of needing to convince people to capture data. I think everyone understands you need data. You need you want to capture as much as you can. The biggest issue we see in the industry is people working in data silos instead of open warehouses. And what I mean by that is too many companies have a tendency that, yes, hey, going back to our example from earlier, we have all this sales data. We have so much information on every call, every dial, every activity, every close one, the close loss deal, yada, yada, yada. We have all this stuff and we can run it to make our sales process more effective. Well, if that's all you're working on is the sales aspect of that, you've completely missed a massive opportunity because those other ones we talked about from the marketing perspective, what led them into the sales cycle from the operation side, once they were sold, how did that go? All of that is relevant information for what I will call that line item or that record, that customer that should be included. Because when you use these machine learning models in general, the more data you have, the better off you're going to be, but it needs to be connected. I'm not saying you need to build, actually, you know, roll out a massive data warehouse structure and completely redo your infrastructure from that perspective right now. But you do need to be moving towards a way where data is not siloed. Things are connected. Frankly, this is something we've made a big investment on from market scales perspective because we were too siloed. We didn't do a good enough job with this in the past. So we're getting better. But don't be too high level. Don't assume one size fits all for these type of things. Find a solution that works for you and your company, but that also allows you to connect those dots across those channels more and avoid those silos. Uh, the last thing that I think is a really good summary point, the qu exact quote again from this Forbes plus um, Teradata article, is that AI will expose organizations that have only paid lip service to data and data practices. What this is really talking about is, again, everyone I think now is at least paying lip service, if not actually following through on using data in a company. But if you're not doing it in the right way, if you're not having the foresight to um, set up models and systems that are going to allow you to take advantage of the advancements in the AI and machine learning space in the coming decade, it's going to expose you and make you realize that it's going to be hard to go correct it. You're going to go in, you're going to say, hey, CEO wants us to adopt machine learning. Um, great. We're going to put a big investment in this and that platform and do this and this. Um, great. Where are we start? What data do we have? And you realize that the projects you're going to be able to run might be minimal in impact because yes, you maybe can optimize some stuff from the sales process. Yes, you can optimize marketing. Yes, you can optimize from the service side, but you're not necessarily optimizing overall. You're not optimizing for both the how do we get them in, how do we convince them, and how do we service them and ensure that they come back more and more. You haven't connected all those dots, so you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. So there was our rapid fire on the IoT world and the industry of thinking about it in a little different way. 
Alrighty, everyone. That's all the time we have for today. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this week. We talked about taking advantage of a bad situation. Again, with everything going on in the world, what can you do as a marketer, as a sales rep, as an operations lead, as someone in a business in America in general, to take advantage of maybe some open bandwidth of some new opportunities to set your company up great for the future? and the different departments and how you can take advantage of that. And we also did our industry rapid fire segment on healthcare finance and IOT about how you can think about data in different perspectives. Again, hoping that it opens up your mind to thinking for your business, how you can do different perspectives. We will be back again next week with some more rapid fire and another great topic. I hope everyone out there stays safe, stays healthy, and we will talk to you again soon. See ya.